0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We are beginning today in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This is where it's going to really start to get good right here, all right? I love this passage. This is a good one. And uh, Solomon here has been forced to abandon all of his hopes of of leaving an enduring legacy where people will remember uh, him for who he was. Uh, he knows that that uh, in chapter 1 now is something that he'll be forgotten. Uh, he also has given up on using his enormous wisdom, his immense wisdom that he had Wiser than any other man, God blessed him uh, with this promise that he would have wisdom, yet he has seen even the wisdom he has has, has failed to fix society. So his intellectualism it has failed uh, to fix the ills of society. Uh, man just can't think his way out of this mess we're in of sin and, and corruption and, and, and death. Uh, human intelligence just cannot... Fix The human heart doesn't wield the power to remediate the depraved hearts of sinners. We know that that remedy, redemption from sins, comes only through God's Son. That is the only way that we can be forgiven. But 950 years before Christ, Solomon in this letter, Ecclesiastes, he has concluded that under the sun, apart from God, just through what we see that which is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be accounted for. So without God, there's just no fixing it. All the trouble we're in and all, all, all the desperation the world is in, apart from God intervening, intervening in the person of His Son, uh, we are hopeless without Jesus. Solomon, seeing what he has seen in the world, he, he's basically decided here, that nobody's going to remember me anyhow. Years are going to pass. I'm going to be forgotten, like with all of us. After I die, uh, my memory will be forgotten. Even with my wisdom, it far exceeds everybody else. I I just can't fix stupid in the world, right? People have been trying for the millennia, and and it just can't be fixed. So maybe Solomon says, maybe if I can't beat them, maybe I'll join them. That's where he is today. Uh, In fact, Solomon is going to determine... I won't only join them, I'm going to far exceed the folly of anyone who's ever come before me. So Solomon, he can't fix what grieves his soul about the world, he's going to immerse himself into the world, into the depths of the world, and at the end, he's going to come out singing the anthem of the Rolling Stones. You know what that is, right? I can't get no satisfaction, because I tried, and I try and I try, and I try. And Solomon, in this passage, says, I can't get no satisfaction out of the world. But he will attempt. He will attempt to satisfy his heart with the lusts of the world and the boastful pride of life. And he utterly fails. Completely fails. And so that no one reading This letter will be deluded into following this this same hollow venture that he takes off for. Solomon begins and ends this section with this declaration It is futility he starts, it is vanity he ends, and it is the same Hebrew word he uses in both both verses at the beginning, verse 1, at the end, and verse 11. Futility and vanity of everything that he experiences. Follow along as Solomon here uh, tells us about his exploits in verse 1. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter it is madness, and of pleasure what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine, well, my mind was guiding me wisely in how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men who do under heaven, uh, for there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity, and striving after the wind, and there was no prophet under the sun. Wow, wow. Folks, this passage ought to be one of the most encouraging of all of Scripture. One of the most encouraging passages we will find in the Bible. It is surely one of my favorite One of my favorite of all time. You you must at least make it part of your top 10, all right? I think you'll see why. This this is great here for us. Solomon, he acquired it all. He had it all. He wanted it all, and he had it all right now. It was his better life now, his best life now, so he thought. And he actually acquired all this stuff. The passage describes uh, uh, the foolish. this is the foolish fantasy land of virtually all men and women in the world. Virtually all men and women think they will be satisfied with what he has just described. They come, they live, they die, hoping to acquire Solomon's world of madness and folly. That's what it is. It is a world of madness and folly. Think of how many young men and young ladies have wasted their entire lives dreaming and scheming of ways to acquire all of this and even more, they hope. Their whole lives are invested in stuff. Lust for the world, boastful pride of life. There are the sinful urges that plague every celebrity, every professional athlete, every Wall Street tycoon, Uh, they believe people must admire who I am and they must admire what I have. Folks, this is a joke. This is a complete joke. Yet I find, I find this, the folly of Solomon here incredibly liberating. Incredibly liberating. I hope it achieves the same for you. Uh, I don't know the man. Never met him. But I believe I have probably... <laughs> well-exceeded Mick Jagger in life satisfaction. I truly do believe that. He'll have to answer for himself, I don't know for sure. But I owe thanks to God, and for his, this divine wisdom we'll see today, uh, that Jesus himself magnified during his life on earth. Satisfaction can't come through acquiring more stuff. So if you want some satisfaction in life, Give this a listen, all right? Give this a listen. In verse 1, Solomon said to himself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And then what? What does he do? Well, he hurriedly, hurriedly concludes, And behold, it too was futility. So he wastes no time, right after his intro, in clarifying what I am about to tell you here will not satisfy says it from the very beginning and when he says come now i will test you with pleasure speaking of himself enjoy yourself he knows somebody is going to stop reading right there he's being preemptive he knows someone's going to stop reading right after that and then establish that as a biblical command come now enjoy pleasure, enjoy yourself, uh, those folks will tell their friends, you know, I read it in Ecclesiastes. I will test you test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. See, that's what God's Word says, they will say, right? People love to do that. Um, they, they, they love to take a small little snippet of Scripture, make a personal doctrine out of it, when it actually that's not at all what God's Word says or what Solomon says. So Solomon is very careful from the beginning before he, before he lights this up to, to give his conclusion because he knows that's the way it usually goes with people. People claiming to be very spiritual, claiming to heed the Bible. They take a tiny snippet of Scripture and then they, they apply it to their lives without any regard to the surrounding context. What the Word of God is actually saying uh, it seems at first glance that Solomon has embraced pleasure over human wisdom. His last passage is saying human wisdom didn't work. It can't fix what is crooked. So he commits himself to pleasures of lust. Seems like he's embraced pleasure, excuse me, pleasure over human wisdom. But we have to keep reading all the way through to verse 13, which we won't get to until next week to learn that Solomon's full conclusion is not that. From this experiment that he's doing, that is not what he concludes. It's not what he uh, concludes at all. Um, Actually, he concludes near the end of his life now that wisdom exceeds folly. Wisdom is the better option over this folly. And what we observe in this passage, it really is gloomy darkness. It's gloomy darkness. Uh, We must interpret biblical statements in their broader context, or we will find ourselves in a cult, folks. All cults quote the Bible. That is a fact, but they don't quote it rightly. Folks, the prosperity movement is one, and that is cultish. The prosperity gospel, the prosperity movement, they commonly misrepresent and misapply this passage right here from Solomon even though Solomon begins uh, from the very beginning, suggests, Don't be deceived by what I'm about to tell you. Behavior that I am about to show you is meaningless. It's meaningless. You may say, Well, I, let me decide for myself. Okay, we'll continue reading. What exactly is futile? Well, Solomon begins, he's saying, I said of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? His his first pursuit here is laughter. It was a word that was used to describe merrymaking. Having a good time, games, contests, all kinds of ways to to make yourself forget about life for a while. It it would probably be reminiscent uh, of how kings in in past ages would call uh, court jesters to come into their court in order to entertain them when a neighboring kingdom is about to avoid them. You know, I won't forget about this. Can someone bring me something to laugh about? All right? Laughter, the comedy club, Solomon says, that's madness. Madness means just foolishness. Meanwhile, the word pleasure, that alluded to festivals, celebrations with crowds, celebrating. You know, imagine, if you ever watched Pride and Prejudice, and, and they've got the, the dances with all the people, and then, and then the big ball where everybody comes to. You, you, that's the pleasures that he's talking about. Large groups of parties. And we know that both, both comedy and parties are effective for a short time in order to help us forget about all of our problems, right? You can have a good time. You can have a laugh. But when they're over and everybody returns home afterwards, what did they actually accomplish, other than leaving a big mess and a morning headache? What did it actually accomplish out of all that? Nothing of lasting value. Nothing of lasting value. It's just just very temporal, uh, fleeting amusement is what Solomon is condemning here. Next, next, he says, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while well, my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under, the, under heaven for the few years of their lives. Here it's wine with folly. What good do they provide to the sons of men? Literally, they're sons of Adam the descendants of Adam, uh, what good do wine and folly serve men the few years that they live on earth? You know, due to the futility of life, fleeting life, many people, folks, turn to substance. Some form of substance in order to forget about all of their problems, escape their own reality. And what, I think, what I think Solomon is saying is this. I think he's saying, you know, I briefly checked... To see if alcohol could bring any relief to my situation, my pain, my anxiety, my life. Uh, To to stimulate the body, by the way, your translation might say draw. It means to drag through. The Hebrew word to stimulate means to drag something through another thing. Uh, Some people will drag themselves through substance in order to forget about all of life's problem. He, he does imply here intoxication at some level. He, he drug himself, he drug his body through wine. So he says man lives only a few brief years, literally, in the Hebrew there, it, it's man it lives but a few days. Speaking of brevity again. And, and since life is short and then you die, maybe... Maybe rather than waking to face reality every day, Solomon investigated briefly briefly whether it would be preferable to to just endure through numbing the pain. Maybe I can just numb the pain until this all goes away. Uh, You probably talked to someone you know, maybe even someone here, who's tried this in one form or another. A substance that will just numb the pain for a while, they will tell you it is futility. Complete futility. People who abuse substance, that would be legal or illegal. They cannot escape. But worse, they, they, they rarely re, uh, achieve anything substantial in life. Rarely do they ever achieve anything substantial. Uh, for those who do achieve fame, fortune, celebrity status, other things, substance abuse usually comes after they have achieved it. And they have seen how shallow... Uh, their, their superficiality is. And usually the substance abuse comes and ruins them after. Man, man never triumphs. And he never contributes to society. Uh, never, never makes anything profitable for mankind through abusing substance. There's nothing good in it. Solomon admits, you know, I experimented with, with alcohol for a little bit of while to see if it could offer relief. But my wisdom remained. He, it means he recognized through his mind that, that wine offered no ultimate escape. He kept his mind through it all. You know, if you hope to excel in life, this is for all of us here, if you hope to excel to your potential in life, rather than numbing your mind, you have to sharpen your mind. You, you must sharpen your mental faculties. So I believe it was Solomon's intent here in this section to demonstrate that he was first going to dismiss laughter, fooling around, foolishness, and, and pleasures, and, and parties and drinking, or he could have never achieved this, this stunning list of accomplishments that follows. Really, It really is amazing what he was able to build in his few short years. Uh, because it's obvious with what we're about to look at that nobody who is inebriated every morning could ever accomplish uh, the things that are done here. Could never enlarge their works as seen in verse 4. Solomon says, I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. Very important that day, wood products. It'd be like petroleum products today, so essential for for anything plastic or medical or, or building cars. And that day, lumber. You had to have it to do anything great. He says, I bought male and female slaves... And I had homeborn slaves. That means he had the slaves long enough where another generation grew up through his house. They're homeborn. The slaves born to his own slaves. He said, I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Impressive, right? That's good. You don't know how to answer. Is it or isn't it? Huh. It is vital. Vital here to realize that Solomon continues. He's continuing right now in description of his madness and his folly. This is still madness and folly according to to Solomon. Don't get the false notion that he left the the madness and folly with the parties and the wine behind him in verse 3. And now somehow in verse 4 that that he's this refined, redeemed Omega man who now has his life on the right track and displays a godly life. No. This entire section between verses 1 and 11 is filled with folly. Filled with folly. And we haven't even made it to the solid gold dancers and concubines yet. I mean, he's continuing folly here. You weren't born in the 70s. You, you don't know what I'm talking about there, do you? But he gets there. He gets there. Contrary, really contrary to the false teaching of the prosperity movement that says that every Christian, once they accept Jesus, should be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time. It just saturates our culture. The, prosper, the false prosperity movement. Uh, contrary to that, Solomon, Solon, Solomon's is not behavior left for the rest of us to emulate. That isn't the purpose of this passage. Folks, he does not look anything at all like Jesus in what he is describing here. There's nothing godly about self-glorifying opulence. Nothing godly about it. Nothing Christian about it. Solomon's pursuit of satisfaction through materialism, it's madness. It's complete madness. Uh, when, you, when you look at you go to Luke chapter 12, just peeked at this, popped in my head right before service. And you go to Luke chapter 12 and Jesus there is describing uh, uh, the, remember, the, the splendor of Solomon. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor is dressed uh, like these. Uh, whose splendor was it? Was it God's splendor? No. Jesus says, it's Solomon's splendor. And, and what passage is it in? If you remember, Jesus is just following up after uh, the foolish rich man who built bigger barns and spread out his works. And, what it, and in the context, what Jesus is saying there in describing Solomon's splendor, it's not an admiration of Solomon. Because in the same sentences... Jesus is saying, don't you worry. As God clothes the, the lilies in the field, they, they're clothed even more beautiful than Solomon. Don't worry about what you're lacking is the whole purpose. You don't need to look like Solomon. Because even in all of his splendor, he wasn't clothed as well as God would have liked him to be clothed. So It's an amazing passage. I wish I would have had more time to flush that out. Folks, th- this whole passage is about Solomon's three favorite people in life. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. Yeah. Listen to this. This is from Douglas O'Donnell in, in the Reformed Expositors Commentary. He writes, I, just, just think, just 11 verses here. I is used 18 times. Uh, my is used 13 times me four times, myself four times. Even the word yourself, uh, enjoy yourself, is intended to convey the idea of Solomon's talking to himself. Uh, It is not simply the language, says O'Donnell, but also the focus of his accomplishments. Solomon's list is self-serving. His works are not philanthropic. He doesn't mention any parks he built to be enjoyed by the populace. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, says Solomon. Oh, that brings shed some light on it, doesn't it? Who is this all for? For God? For God's people? Oh, not at all. He's not a good shepherd in this phase of his life in Israel. Life is all about him. The passage this passage in the picture of his, of his gardens and his ponds and his, and his homes. Folks, it, it's, the, it's the ultimate Facebook selfie. That's what it is. Everybody look at me. Look how good I look. Look at everything that I have. Everyone should notice everything that I've achieved and what I've done. Folks, it's sin. It's sin. Verse 9 says, I became great... And increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. By the way, when we go through this, the the fact that Solomon's wisdom stood with him, stood by him in these situations, uh, that is a testament uh, to God's faithfulness to God's own promise that I will give you wisdom. It's a testament that God is faithful to his promise. It is not a stamp of approval on Solomon's behavior. At all. That, oh yeah, I guess since he kept his wisdom, God must be really pleased somehow. No, God isn't pleased. And we'll see that in just a few moments. Uh, but Solomon, he, he became a, a, as famous as Michael Jackson in his day. The difference is that Solomon was able to keep his wits about him. Didn't just go, go completely off the rails through all of this. He, he was able to preserve his mind and his wisdom, which means he, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew precisely what he was doing. Solomon has turned into a self-aggrandizing, egocentrical person as virtually as virtually every big shot always does. There are exceptions, but virtually every big shot does. You can't own mansions, car collections, gold chains, leer jets, and look like Jesus and his apostles, all right? No matter what pastor tells you, you can. You cannot. When his barns became full, he tore them down and built mansions. More homes, mansions, more stuff for himself. You know, no, nobody should aspire to this behavior. No one should. Solomon is the polar opposite of everything that a Christian is to strive to be humble, kind, generous, thinking of others first. Always concerned about other people's welfare. His story proves that you can start out good. So he built a temple for the Lord. He, he asked for wisdom in order to guide God's people. Did, it, did he use it for that? No. You can start out really good and you can have your entire life shipwrecked by the pursuit of the lusts of the world. Shipwreck it all. It doesn't end here. Verse 8, there's more. Solomon says, Also I collected for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers, and the pleasures of men. Your translation might say, the delights of men. Many concubines. If instead of concubines, your translation says Solomon collected many instruments of all types, yeah, that's not right. That, that, is, not, that is not right. The, the final two words in this sentence are uh, in the Hebrew, shidah shida. The first shida is in the singular. The second shida is in the plural. Both are in the feminine form. They're in the feminine gender. Uh, shida It's a very obscure word, rarely seen in ancient literature and found nowhere else in the Bible. It's the only place that it appears in the Bible. And in the process of creating earlier Bible translations, the word is so rare, nobody knew hundreds of years ago what it meant. That's what it was. Nobody had had any comparable ancient literature in order to really get get a grip on what uh, on what Shaddah meant. You know, they, they couldn't just flip open their 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 Hebrew dictionary or their lexicons or anything and just, you know, go to the Internet and say, let me just find out what this is. Only what they had in front of them is what they had as a resource. Didn't have enhanced, Strong's lexicons as we do today. So they guessed at it, basically. They guessed at what it was. Um, I imagine somebody really brilliant in the back of the room said, you know, Solomon just mentioned some male and female singers you know, I, I bet Solomon, this means that Solomon used to collect musical instruments. A point by my, by my pastor Tom Nelson in his, in his short commentary and study on this is this. He goes, I, I know many a man who enjoy listening to a good flute, but I don't know of many who collect them. <laughs> to, you know, to be the delights of men and Shaddai is not actually referring back to the male and female singers, but it is describing these pleasures or these delights of men. What do we know about Solomon's life in Scripture that he considers the delights of men? It's not a collection of clarinets, folks. It's not. Recent scholarship has found this, this word as occurring in an ancient letter dated from 1350 B.C., uh, a letter written by an Egyptian pharaoh. All right? And they found it in that, in that context there, and the Egyptian pharaoh uses it to refer to his concubine. The common interpretation of Shada today on the rare occurrences that the linguists are able to observe, it means women of the harem. We can thank archaeology for that. They unearth all these manuscripts, resources that they didn't have in the past, and and we can get a better definition than ever for a lot of these these words that are very, very rare. And Solomon, here for emphasis, repeats the word Shaddai twice, in singular and then the plural, harem of harems. Well, that, that sounds a little more like the Solomon we know, huh? Yeah. As we'll read here on in scripture, this is Solomon's world of madness and folly. The following citations from scripture here, this is just a little abridged summary of all that Solomon, the excesses of Solomon and what he acquired is seen in 1 Kings chapter 10. You ready? When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway, by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. Boy, man, have you ever, on a first date, taken a girl and showed her a stairway and had her faint on you? That's how magnificent everything appeared. It's incredible what he had, he had amassed in wealth. Says now the weight of the gold which came into Solomon in one year is a massive amount 666 talents of gold. Where's Cheryl Alberino? There's your 666 reference right there gold, the world, the Antichrist, the devil. All right? That, That is a massive quantity of gold. That's a discussion we've been having recently about Revelation. Solomon made hundreds of ornaments and shields and other things to, to hang in his, in his mansions. The king also built a great throne of ivory, we are told, overlaid with pure, refined gold. There were, st- there were six steps to his throne. Twelve lions were standing there on the six steps on one side and on the other. Nothing like it was made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None was of silver. It was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. The ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. Likely must have been some elephants in there too. Huh? You've got a pure uh, a throne made of ivory. There were articles of silver and gold, garments, weapons, spices, thousands of horses, we know, mules, so much year by year. So Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, and he stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. And he made cedars as plentiful as the sycamore trees that are in the lowland. Anyone believe this is a display of godliness? Well, it continues in 1 Kings chapter 11. Same, same narrative. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. Some, after first observation, they may look at this, and I've heard this interpretation before. They, they may conclude someone who wants to, you know, put a nice gloss on all of this behavior. I, I've heard it said that you know a king's harem. Gold, treasure, these were just reasonable expectations of any successful king back in this day in, this, in Solomon's era. God was, emple- God was pleased that Solomon indulged himself in this way and with much wealth. So, some, I've heard some pastors say this is clear evidence of God's pleasure with Solomon, all the wealth that he had. But what did the law prescribe concerning Israel's king? Was Israel's king, the true king, as prescribed by the law, uh, was he to be a model of vain opulence? Folks, not at all. Not at all. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16 says, Israel's king shall not multiply horses for himself, shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver or gold for himself... Instead, he shall write for himself a copy of the law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all of the words of the law and these statutes. Look, Solomon immersed himself in the world money. He loved the world. He served the world. It was his God to him. Not only is there nothing about Solomon's folly for us to emulate, his behavior was directly contradictory to what the king of Israel was supposed to look like. No Israelite was to behave in this way. Not even the king. Not even the king. His life was utterly sinful. Utterly sinful. In fact, I'm suspicious... This is one of the reasons that he, he never writes his name in this book. Remember the first week we were talking about uh, authorship and how Solomon's name never appears in the book? I think it's shame. I think it's shame. It would have been an indictment against himself. It would have been an impeachment to sign his own name to it. Folks, 1 Kings 11 verse 6, same context as earlier. This is what the Word of God concludes. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Want to know how God thought about it? It's all evil. It's all evil. Which king? This is going to surprise us that man fails us. It doesn't surprise us at all. Which king is our role model? Jesus. Jesus. What mansions did he build? What barns did he fill for himself? Singers, dancers, harem? Folks, as Gerald was saying this morning, King Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of what the law required. Perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient to his Father. He didn't have to multiply homes or gold or or singers or horses. Why? Because Jesus knew that no matter how much you accumulate... No matter how much you can amass in this life, the world can never satisfy the emptiness that is in your heart. Not even if you get as much as Solomon. Emptiness is all the possessions can bring. Solomon, he is an example of a man who turned away from serving God. Scripture says his primary home alone took him 13 years to build. That's just one One home, not including his other homes, the gardens, the ponds, the trees, the harems. Think of all the years it took to build all this stuff. And Solomon uh, wasted the decades of his life on chasing the wind. All of it is vanity, says the one man who gained everything in the world. Verse 10. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of my labor, and this was my reward for my labor. Temporal pleasure is what he's saying. My heart was pleased, that was my reward. No no reward waiting for Him in heaven. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold... All was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? He doesn't say that, that there wasn't any pleasure in what he did. You know, surely, uh, sin of many types is gratifying for a while. We all know that. He's not, he's not ignoring the fact that you can have a temporal pleasure. Uh, but at the end of his life, Solomon declares that amassing uh, homes and farms and, and, and fame and, and fornication and fortunes, materialism in general, the world, as we read in first, first John chapter 2, it's all sin and it will all turn your heart away from following God. Everything he pursued, with all that he achieved, Solomon learned that there is no ultimate satisfaction in the lusts of the world. Nothing. Nothing. During our earlier Scripture reading, the Apostle, Paul, uh, Apostle John told us, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts but the one who does the will of God lives forever. James said friendship with the world is enmity with God. You ever wondered you ever thought to yourself why the vast majority of Christians in the world are poor comparatively to their to their cultures. Around the world most the majority of Christians are Relatively poor. Do you ever ask yourself why, as James says, God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? Well, you should. You should wonder that. Why so much focus on the poor? He chooses, folks, the poor because he doesn't want to have to compete with the world for their love. God doesn't want to have to compete with your stuff. Any problem with this among Christians in America today? You know what the problem is? You can be poor as dirt, and your heart can still long for all of this wealth that Solomon had. People can be distracted. Uh, they, can, they cannot have two pennies to rub together, and they can, they can be distracted to where they don't think about anything except more money. And how I can get more of my stuff. Um, it It will consume you. It will turn your heart from God. That's why Jesus says, get the world out of your heart. Give it away. Sell your possessions and give to charity. He said in Luke as we studied it, make yourselves money belts that do not wear out and unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That's a fact. You know, at the end there with Solomon, you know, he ended up erecting uh, uh, false articles of worship for his foreign wives. What a First First Kings chapter eleven! That was the end of it all, and now he's 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 just he's just lamenting over what he had done with his life. You may be thinking. You said, you know, I thought this pastor said that when we started all of this, this is going to be encouraging. Right? You remember that? Folks, for the Christian, this is incredibly encouraging. Incredibly encouraging. Solomon, in this passage, assures that having more money and more homes and more girlfriends and more cars will never make you satisfied. It never will. You, you can now stop worrying in your mind, how you're ever going to get more. How are you going to get all that stuff? Stop wanting more. Do you really think? This is a great example right here. Do you really think? Knowing what you know about Scripture, not how you feel, knowing what you know about Scripture, that Tom Brady and his wife don't know them at all. But do you really think that Tom Brady and Giselle are happier in life because they have more? I assure you, Scripture assures you, they are not. They have the same problems that everybody else has. Scripture assures uh, uh, any millionaire, celebrity, any Wall Street mogul, their opulence is a sin that separates them from God. Does anybody here want to be separated from God? Does anybody here think they're, I know I don't, any of us here think we're wiser than Solomon? And we'd be able to resist the lure of the money, the fame, the fortune? And prosperity, it is right now the biggest manifestation of false Christianity, not only in America, but around the world. It is the biggest imitation of Christianity that exists on the planet today. It is in Africa, isn't it, Chuck? It's big there, right? Is it bigger? Is it more influential in, in Africa, where they have little, than orthodox, true-believing Christianity? Has a, has a has a great influence, doesn't it? Seminaries and teaching around there, filling people full of this stuff. Stadiums being filled over there with people who are wanting more. It's incredibly, incredibly sad. Um, the, the false prosperity gospel says that you can know God loves you because you have a lot of fancy stuff to show for it. Folks, opulence and showing off is sin. That's what it is. It's sin. Financial prosperity is never an indication that God is pleased, pleased with what you are doing. Case in point, Solomon Never an indication. I've run into many people through, through, over time that have told me they are just supremely confident because they've done really well in the stock market. God's given them uh, fancy cars and big homes. They are supremely confident that that is an indicator that God loves them and approves of what they're doing. It's not an indicator. It's not an indi- there are plenty of ungodly people out there who, who have the same stuff stuff is not an indicator that that God approves that God approves folks stop wanting more stop it stop it by being content by having with what you need you can take the excess that you don't need and you can be generous towards God a long discussion with Giselle and, and Matthew with this yesterday it's just good to be to be content with what we have and, and not be distracted with this lie that if we could just get a whole bunch more, uh, our problems would go away and we'd be happy. That's just a lie. Just a complete lie. Accumulating more than what we reasonably need. It's just sin. It's just sin. And, and, and Americans already have so much more than any previous generation ever. At home or abroad, we already have so much more than any previous generation ever has. In the 1950s, get this, a few of you remember this, the average new home build for a new home was less than 1,000 square feet. Today, the average new home build is over 2,500 square feet and rising. That's the average. It's the average. I'm going to admit, closets are nice. All right? There they are. Having space is nice, but it can never ultimately satisfy. We have to stop worrying about it. Enjoy what we have. Enjoy what God has blessed us with. That's going to be a discussion as we go forward in the next couple weeks. Do you know what I discovered last week about space? I hurt my foot, and I I couldn't walk. I mean, I could not put weight on my right foot, and I didn't even know what I did. But a week ago Thursday, I had to stay home. And if you've been to our house, I got a little, like about 11-foot by 12-foot California room out on the patio. And I've got the, the reclining sofa there. And on the other wall is the TV, a small little room. And I, and I couldn't, couldn't get up very easy. I really had to hobble to get to the bathroom or anywhere. You know what I thought to myself? Because you're sitting there with the air conditioning and, and life is just good. And you're sitting there with your, your leg up and everything. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if I could only find a way to move the refrigerator into here. I would never have to leave. <laughs> Joy in the simple things. The food, the ceiling fan, the air conditioning, a reliable car, some updates to your home, wonderful blessings that God provides us. But the, the biblical unmasking of Satan's lie that, that the lusts of the world can satisfy life Folks, that that has liberated me into not worrying about ever getting rich. I don't even worry about it. I don't even think about it. I'm not preoccupied by wealth and covetousness. Just one grace that God has shown me. Um, Before I was a believer, I was a covetous man. I looked at what other people had and I really wanted it. But through the forgiveness of Christ, He relieved me from that sin. I'm still struggling with some. Everybody has a different path that they're struggling through in life. But God has shown his grace through his word that it's just not going to last. It's not important. I don't think about winning the lottery. Think about this. Knowing what you know about Solomon. If you were to win the lottery, first you'd have to play. I hope you're not doing that. I'm not not prying. not trying to lay guilt down. But just think if you were to win the lottery and knowing what we know about Solomon, what are you going to do with all that money? What are you going to do with it? I've heard some people say over time, oh, I'd like to win the lottery so I could give that money to the church. You liar. (laughs) We need to be honest with ourselves and with God. What do we want all that money for? My dad used to say, as many of yours did, if you got your health, if you can work, if you can wake up and earn day to day, you've got everything you need. With food and covering with these, we will be content. It is a joyful life to be able to share the abundance that God has given us. We can stop worrying about what we don't have, folks. Life is short. Does that mean we should not work hard? Does it mean that we shouldn't want to earn more or reach our full potential? Uh, Does it mean that there's no purpose to working hard? Solomon's going to Uh, actually propose that in the next passage. No, No, there is an advantage to getting a raise and negotiating a fair salary. There is a proper and godly way to use our money. There are ways to use it that bring true and godly enjoyment. It's just not the place that Solomon used it. It's a bad example. We're going to discuss why we are commanded to work in the next two to three weeks. We're going to discuss the fruits of our labor, The good things that can come out of it. Solomon's going to ask, you know, what have I to show for all my labor if I'm just going to leave it to someone and who knows if he's going to be wise or if he's going to be a fool. Folks, you don't have to leave it to a fool. And next week, the results of Solomon's experiment. We're going to hear he has looked now at wisdom, uh, madness, and folly. And he's going to give us the results next week of this experiment that he has had, alright? Let's praise the Lord for everything we have. Oh. Father, we adore you. And uh, you give us strength and wisdom through your word. And you provided, provided us with so many wonderful things to enjoy. As, Lord, the modern conveniences of of uh, indoor plumbing and hot water and showers and everything, Lord. It's, we're so, so grateful for everything that we have. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to to not always just want more uh, other than just want to serve you more. Father, um, bless this church. Bless us with good labor and work and health to wake up each day. Father, give our heart... Uh, a joyful exuberance to want to wake up and do things well, to achieve, to, to earn, to share. Lord, this short time, these few days we have on earth, we want to devote wholly unto you. In Christ's name we pray.